Hello and welcome. My name is Matt Summerall. Today we're talking about a very hot topic, AI, with a special focus on ChatGPT. And we'll answer some of your burning questions on ChatGPT in our Q&A segment coming up a little later on. But first, let's welcome our expert, Matt Dunn, Head of Automation at The Missing Link. Hi there, Matt. Great to be here. Thanks, Matt. So, Matt, before we dive deeper into ChatGPT, you've worked for many years now implementing automation solutions to a range of major companies. Can you talk to us first about how automation has evolved over the last 10 years? Yeah, so I guess prior to the last 10 years, there, have, there were a lot of specific solutions that, were, that companies implemented that were for HR, were for payroll, were for their, um, their, their sales process, for example. And what we found is that those are quite disconnected and it's become easier to add them to your company's stack when you can now sign up for cloud software. You can sign up for a new payroll system pretty easily with a username and password. So where intelligent automation solutions like the ones that we use come in handy is anything that's being done repetitively on a computer that follows a logical process, we can program the software to do that. And it's low-code software, so it's quick for us to do. So that provides integration between their systems. So say, for example, user onboarding, the IT department has to provision them in the system, give them a new username, give them a new password, uh, order their IT equipment, and give them the right access to the right files. Those are all done in different systems, whereas you can automate that so that it it can simply be done by intelligent automation. Now, we've automated those types of processes for clients. Another example, a client gets an order from their customers, and then we're having to manually key them into their supplier's systems. So that happens automatically for them at midnight every night, and we automated that with our solution. And you did this with a company during COVID, didn't you? That's right. So it turns out that Australia got really thirsty when lockdown happened. And one of our clients is a distributor of alcoholic beverages. Their orders volumes went right up, and they couldn't keep up. So they were doing record volumes of sales every week. Really? And they, couldn't, they were working weekends, working nights to try and keep up with the orders and having to place those in their suppliers' systems. So we programmed a bot that essentially does that for them while they sleep. And what happened? Within a month, so our solution took a month to develop. Within a month, people didn't need to be doing the process anymore, and they were able to keep up with the orders, and their people could have their weekends to themselves. As far as the evolution goes, the automation software gets easier to use for us. That means quicker solutions for our clients. It incorporates elements of AI like getting data out of documents, which was previously really difficult to do. Can you give us an example of that? Yeah, sure. So out of uh, a PDF invoice, for example, you'd need people to copy and paste that out of the document and into their system. We can program software to do that now for them. So Matt, who are the key people and organizations who have been driving this automation revolution? Would a guy like Jeff Bezos be one of those guys? Amazon is the poster child for automation. So all the way from... And also a good example of tying AI into their automation. So yes, all the way through their traditional supply chain, you place an order and all of a sudden a whole lot of systems are updated to know it's time to pick and pack that order, to know when to deliver it, where to deliver it to. But the AI component of that would be recommending products that you probably like and add them to your order. A really good example in terms of a fully integrated supply chain, but also a great user experience. You get your products quickly and you get pretty good recommendations as a result of the AI. Yeah, and that's an example using, I guess, a retailer. Mm. Um, but what other examples in other sort of types of industries could you give us? 
So uh, banks and insurance companies, they've yep. got uh, armies of people processing the documents that you have to submit, the information that you have to send through, and it's done the same way every time. But they, it's really important for them to automate, to keep up with the competition, because if you think about it, you're applying for a mortgage. Quite often, you'll pick whichever is the fastest response if you're in a hurry, and the efficient banks win the business. So they've been under real pressure to automate their processes, to create a better user experience for the customer, and to sell their products more quickly. And in a way, they've automated their analysis of the information as well, haven't they? Because they now have much tighter systems in place. They're not lending the money like they used to, are they? Yeah, (laughs) that's right. And so with extra regulation, you can adapt your your automated processes to be able to take those into account. So it is uh, flexible that way. Okay, I want to cover off the fear component of AI. The media is in a frenzy over artificial intelligence. It's, they're freaking out, Matt. Everyone is freaking out. Okay, and I'll tell you why they are. Because earlier this year, Elon Musk said AI has the potential of civilizational destruction. Before his death in 2018, Stephen Hawking said, and I quote, the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. And just last week, the so-called godfather of the godfather of AI, Dr. Jeffrey Hinton announced he was quitting Google over his worries about what AI could eventually lead to if it is unchecked. Matt, should we really be that worried? There's good reason for their concern. So Elon Musk's public petition to stop further development of AI, that's intended to give people a chance to catch up to what it can do, understand it, control it and regulate it before it's abused at scale. For example, it can be used to spread very convincing misinformation and propaganda. So he's not saying stop altogether. He's saying pause and let humanity catch up and regulate this machine because it does have the potential to have harmful effects to humanity in general. And to Elon's point, not only the good guys get a boost from the technology. So think about something as simple as phishing emails. They're becoming more convincing which to date, that's been the dead giveaway, is the rubbish grammar that you might get in a, in a phishing email. So hackers have got a free tool to make a great quality email to send to you and also speed up the generation of their malicious code because technology like ChatGPT can generate code a lot quicker than humans can. Yeah, so there's that cybersecurity threat to it and also, of course, the fake news And also, I remember seeing uh, on Bloomberg, like a few years ago, you know, I think it was one of the very first fake avatars, and I think it was uh, Vladimir Putin, and they had a fake video of him, and it it was absolutely, you could not tell it was not him, that it was fake. It looked like the real thing, and they've been doing it with Tom Cruise and stuff as well, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, I was at an HR innovation conference recently where their great concern is of uh, users stealing someone's identity, stealing their face, essentially, and then being able to do a, a video recorded interview where they get a job in an organization as someone else. Now with remote work being more of a thing, they don't have to go into the office and they get their laptop for that company and access to all of their systems. And that is a great danger in terms of what this technology is capable of. One of the great fears that people had initially was, and one of the big stories that came out was that students were starting to use uh, chat GPT and AI for their I guess, cheating on assignments. My daughter's got a a history assignment on the Vikings 
which I've got to sit down and help her with on the weekend. I, I'm, it's 1,500 words. I'm <laughs> Hello? I'm tempted. I'm tempted, let me tell you. Kids are doing this, aren't they? Yeah, and th- there have been varying reactions from schools and universities to this. Some have banned it. Some say that students need to disclose if they've, where they've used it. But there are two main factors to consider. So first, we still need to be validating that the expertise of these students leaving these institutions, which may require us to revert to written and oral exams. Second fact is that this technology is not going away. So students need to know how to use it effectively if they're going to succeed in the workplace of the future. There are tools to detect AI-generated content. They're being deployed at universities, but they're not that reliable because it's very hard to do. However, if you're an honest student who, say, has produced an essay on a topic, you could get ChatGPT to evaluate it and give you feedback to improve. Or you could get it to explain complicated topics in simple terms to speed up your learning. Okay, so use it as a tool to help you rather than cheat Yeah, is the way to go. Yes. Which, you know, I mean, if you're feeding him about actually learning what you're meant to be learning and becoming Mm. a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, it's probably best to do that anyway. I'd say so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. In the US uh, right now, we're seeing the Writers Guild going on strike and bringing Hollywood and the TV industry to a standstill. One of the demands of the writers is that the studios agree to not use AI to write scripts. Are we going to see massive unemployment lines? Are we all going to be out of a job, Matt? Not in the very near future, but look, it giveth and it taketh away. So there are industries and professions which will be significantly impacted. Chief Executive Officer of IBM said that he expects to pause hiring for roles that he thinks could be replaced with AI in the coming years. And he's not talking about layoffs, but rather implying that natural attrition, as people leave and retire, will put those departments under pressure to leverage this technology to improve their productivity so that they can do what they were doing before, but with fewer people performing the function. My advice is to make yourself indispensable by knowing how to use this technology to become super productive. All right, so the head of IBM is saying that as people retire, they're just not going to have those jobs anymore. They're they're just going to phase people out. So there's going to be less jobs in the system at IBM. So one of the scenarios that I can see happening is similar to what we've seen with automation projects in that we would automate 30% of a person's job and it tended to be the boring part of their job and then they can be trained to do other things. So for example someone who was doing boring invoice processing as a large part of their job then got trained in doing financial reporting, which was more interesting and better for their career. So I do see people lifting their skills as a result to fill in that gap that now the automation has taken care of. Okay, so it's about keeping yourself trained up so just in case something does happen and they do start to automate your role, you've got something else up your sleeve. And, and plans for your career and where you would want to develop that you otherwise might not have had time to do. And I guess industry will be putting plans in place to make sure that they do this as well because they've got to work with governments to make sure that people are employed, don't they? Yeah, and this isn't new. So even with the automation that we have been doing to date, our clients haven't let go of any people. We work with the clients at the beginning of the project to understand what else do they want their workforce to be able to do so that they consider what their reskilling needs might be And that's what ends up happening is that the skills of their workforce are actually uplifted when automation is deployed. 
All right, let's get to ChatGPT. From February to March this year, the number of ChatGPT users grew by 55% in one month. Can you tell us who owns ChatGPT, who created it, and what actually is it? Well, first off, that sort of adoption hasn't been seen in any technology to date. So the, the closest rival to them in terms of growth of numbers was Instagram, who took two and a half months to get to a million users, whereas ChatGPT took five days. So what it is, is they have figured out a way of condensing most of the knowledge on the internet, so including books, scientific papers, and just about every web page out there, into a program. And based on all of that information that it's been fed, it can serve up the most likely response to your prompt. Who owns it? So OpenAI is the company that they started feeding it to the internet in 2016, and they spent the next five years giving it as much data as it possibly could with the aim of getting it to mimic understanding of conversation that you can have with it. Elon Musk was actually, funnily enough, part of the founding group, right? along with Sam Altman. So he was former head of Y Combinator and Reddit. When was this? 2015 is when they started. And um, in 2016 was when they started work on generative pre-trained transformer. Not a very catchy name, which is why it's turned into GPT. Oh, okay. That's what the GPT stands for. What is it again? Generative pre-trained transformer. Is it in Silicon Valley? Is it like in some big building? Is it just a whole bunch of computers? What is it? Funny you should mention where it lives because in they started off as a not-for-profit, but they realized that the compute power and where all this information needed to live was going to cost a lot more than the initial investment. So they turned into for-profit, and that's where Microsoft came in. Right. So Microsoft chucked in a cool billion dollars in the early days of uh, ChatGPT development, and with that they got a partnership, a preferred partnership with OpenAI. And I will confidently say that Microsoft will see that as the best billion dollars they ever spent. So they've subsequently put in another $10 billion in investment. And that's not in terms of dollars, that's in terms of compute power. Microsoft has the compute power to be able to generate the kind of prompts that we see and the speed in which we see them. And think about all the information that goes into the response to your prompt. That's a lot of data that needs to be called up and very quickly in order for it to be user-friendly. And they've only put information up until 2021, is that right? That's right. So the the model was they had to pause at a point in time and say we can't keep up with the internet as it keeps growing, so we're going to consider this a finite data set and we're going to train it on everything up until that point. So that is something for users to note is that the, the information for now, they will catch up, the information for now is set at that time. It says that it updates every 48 hours, so what's it updating? It's updating it with the feedback from the users. So nothing is for free. Everyone's very excited about having a free tool to use. But what they are actually doing by opening it to the public is they're getting us to train the model. So when people thumbs up, thumbs down the response or provide their own subsequent prompt, it gives them a clue as to how good the answers are and therefore they can retrain the model. And we'll talk more about that because that's one of the, the concerns is that our information that we're putting in there is being used to train the model. And there's different models. So there's the free one, which everyone's been mucking around with, but there's also ones that you can pay for. So there's a $20 US one, which is ChatGPT+. So what's the difference between the free plan and what happens once you go to the plus model? There's not a lot of difference apart from the priority access to the model. So some of the early adopters of the free version of ChatGPT will notice that sometimes it's just not available. 
And that's because it's so popular, more popular than they could have anticipated, so they don't always have access to it. Whereas with Plus, you get priority in the queue, and you also get to use the updated model of GPT-4 that sits behind ChatGPT. But to go back to what it is, it's a combination of two things. It's knowledge and understanding. So it's knowledge of the world and what's probably right based on all of the information that it's been fed and its ability to understand what you give it and evaluate that based on all of the information that it's seen. Can you give us an example? Yeah. So for knowledge, an example would be, say, generating a job description where I specify the job title and a few skills and the result will be a well-structured and clear and pretty comprehensive job description which just needs some finessing before it's ready. So I'd say it's about 70% of the way there. The other component of it is understanding. You could give it a job description and two CVs and get it to evaluate them against each other. Now, you should probably be removing the personally identifiable information from those CVs, but I tested this on a historic job so that I could see what are the results compared to my human version of the process And it came to the same conclusion Mm. in a fraction of the time. And so we talked about, you know, kids using it for exams and assignments and stuff, but how are people actually using ChatGPT in their everyday life at the moment? I'm the guy at the barbecue who won't shut up about this topic, and my kids (laughs) (laughs) have have asked me to lay off, but uh, it's the first thing that I tend to talk about or steer the conversation (laughs) that way to find out how other people are using it, because I'm really fascinated by that. So... A lot of people are using it with meal planning, so with recipes and shopping lists, and it can give you you can give it a rough budget, and it can do your meal planning. Or really, well, you can also tell it what you've got in your fridge, and it'll say what a a good recipe is to use those things up. No, yeah, there used to be a show on TV with a Greek chef that did that. I think it was a surprise chef. I'm sure it's all. A lot more fun because uh, he was quite a personality. Yeah, okay. So what else? So we've got shopping lists uh, helping you to figure out what you need to cook out of your fridge. What else? Yeah, so friends of ours, uh, they use it to generate most of their itinerary. So they were going to three cities in Japan. Yep. And they included in their prompt that they were traveling with young children. And it cranked out sites to visit, restaurants for each of the meals for their day in their uh, itinerary. And it did a great job from what I hear because they got back last week. How would you word that in? Well, the more detail you give it, the better the response that it'll give you. Yeah. So remember that it's got the whole internet to draw on in terms of its knowledge. So be telling it what the three cities are, giving it your date, uh, your da- the number of days that you're going to be there, and the fact that you have a seven and a 10-year-old child with you then gives it enough information to be able to craft a comprehensive itinerary. Do you have to say, I want it in one page or X amount of words Because if you don't, it'll just go forever. That's the beauty of the follow-up prompt. So what we're so used to from when using Google for the last 20 years is we put in our question and we get a research project in return. We get a ranked set of most likely pages to our problem. Whereas with this, we can, if it does give us two pages of itinerary, which is more than we would like to see, you can simply follow it up with a prompt saying, I want that in bullet points and I want it no longer than a page, for example. Yeah, I love this one. Writing a Valentine's Day card for their significant other. <laughs> yeah, <this laughs> is there something going on in your life that we need to know about? Come on, give it us... It wasn't me, Matt. Give it us the juicy me. details. Let's go. <laughs> so, Have you got the card there? <laughs> huh? 
It wasn't me, but it's one of the the wackiest cases. I think that like, when I when I do ask people at barbecues, this was it, and they they asked it to write the the Valentine's card in the style of Russian literature and to make it rhyme. <laughs> so pretty obscure and something that probably would have taken a long time. And I don't know whether his wife slash significant other um, knows of the, the source of this, but maybe she just thinks he's brilliant. Yeah, I wonder if they're still together. <laughs> <laughs> so how can ChatGPT provide benefits for business? What are some of the efficiencies that we're going to be looking at here? Three main benefits for businesses, and yep. that those come from the functions of what you can do with ChatGPT. The first is research and generating content. So that's the bread and butter activity. That's what everyone's doing, putting in their initial prompt. But also improving quality and clarity of communications for a business. You think about, for example, boring policies that everyone has to read and they have to comply with. It's part of an onboarding process. No one wants to have to read those. But they typically are written in a hurry and by technical people, so they're quite hard to understand. So being able to put those in really succinct and clear terms means that the user has a better time having to read the, the policy and understand it, and the writer can spend less time on generating them. The third point being analysis of existing unstructured information. So the example that I gave earlier of getting it to compare CVs you may have two versions of an article that you'd like to compare against each other, you can give it to ChatGPT, and from the wordy text, it can give you a good summary of which is better and why. And there's a feature, speaking of analysis, there's a feature that's already in beta, which I shared on LinkedIn recently, where you will be able to upload your Excel data and then ask it questions. And this is a big deal for data analysts out there where they have to spend a lot of time collating data and working out what's important for our business to get out of this data, you can now ask ChatGPT to do the same thing, or at least you will be able to very shortly. And that data that it gives you, can you then like capture that and turn that into a graph or something like that? Yeah, it did the graphs automatically for them. So that in that example that I mentioned, they simply said, what are the interesting parts of this data? What are the insights? And it produced a series of charts, and it also had the insights underneath those. How long would it normally take the analyst to do that, though? Uh, in that example, it would be a day or two, and this did it in a matter of seconds. Wow. Okay, so what type of industries are already using ChatGPT? Who's out there leading the way with all this? Well, there aren't many industries that aren't already using it to some extent, but I'd say the standout in terms of early adoption would be the tech industry. So developers, I don't know of a developer who's not already using some form of chat GPT. Copilot is the version that the developers have been given. It can write code, it can debug your code, it can check the quality of your code, and it can help you to understand other people's code and to tidy it up. So their productivity is multiplied. It's not a case of a few percent increased. They're multiplied in terms of what they can produce. You don't have to keep testing the app. That's right. And, and most coders will, will know that the, the majority of time spent in coding is debugging and yeah. figuring out what those problems are. And for us as end users, there's going to be a benefit as well because we'll get better quality software, better quality apps, because quite often the first release has a whole lot of bugs in it that they, they rely on our feedback in order to fix those, and those will be taken care of ahead of release. What about industries? Because I've, I've spoken to some professors who are already sort of taking advantage of this medical research and healthcare. So we're actually working with a Sydney-based university where they spend a lot of time getting data out of historic research papers on the effectiveness of drugs 
and it may be 10 years worth of research and it may take them three months to go through all of that and compile the data out of those. And what they estimate as a result of our project, they've already seen the prototype of the results and they are good, is that it'll cut their research time in half. That means science can move more quickly. It means that results can be achieved faster than they ever were before. So science gets a real lift out of this Mm. in terms of the amount of information that they have to sift through to get to a conclusion. And we've talked about, uh, you know, the finance and banking world, accountants. I mean, there's got to be enormous potential for them. Yeah, I think in particular with that, the new functionality of being able to analyze data in table form and also for frontline workers for those businesses, so the customer-facing service workers. So Stanford and MIT researchers They recently did a study on 5,000 customer service workers provided with this sort of technology. And what they found that the productivity gains were in the order of 35% for their their workforce. And the thing about both for for the the programmers and for the frontline service workers, it means that the bad workers can become good and the good workers can become exceptional. So it really lifts the quality as well as the productivity of the workers. Okay, let's move on to our Q&A segment. We posted an invite across the Missing Link socials for people to jump on and record their questions, re-AI and chat GPT. Thus, the title of the podcast is Ask Us Anything About AI and Chat GPT. Very creative. Did we get Chat GPT to come up with the name of this podcast? Maybe we should have. <laughs> All right, let's go to our first question. Here we go. When can we expect Chat GPT to show the sources of its conclusions that it reaches and to differentiate between academic research and non-informed sources. Matt, what's all that about? Well, good news. You can actually ask ChatGPT for its sources. And what I've found is that if it's very specific to an academic paper or a book or a niche website, it's really good at doing that. But when it's something more general in nature, like let's say those procurement category plans that I mentioned earlier, it won't be able to give you an answer because it's a compilation of so many sources. If you need to cite your sources, you can use Bing's chat. I never thought I'd be recommending Bing. It's normally what I suggest to my in-laws. So what are you saying? Bing's going to make a big comeback here. <laughs> Bing is coming and uh, in future find yourself saying, let me just Bing that. I'm going to Bing it. Yeah. So Bing has actually got ChatGPT built into it. And it is a watered-down version of ChatGPT. It'll give you shorter answers. But it cites the sources of its information. It provides footnotes with those sources of information that you can reference. How's Google going to deal with that? Well, as a matter of fact, Google is already dealing with that in that they have released, uh, done a general public release of BARD. I've had a play with it. And it's not bad. I'd say the, the quality of the information is... Not quite at ChatGPT's level, but the difference being Google's is up to date. So if you're wanting to ask it about current affairs, if you're wanting to ask it about that Elon Musk letter, for example, it's already got a point of view because that information is already in their model. Okay, let's go to our next question, which is about sensitive data. Hey, um, I was at one of your webinars and one of the pieces of advice you gave was to not include sensitive data in the chat. Um, I was just wondering what is the reason for this? Yeah, we we did cover this off earlier, but to reiterate, there are two main reasons. You don't want your sensitive data in your chat history for hackers to access by logging into your account. And that second, that unless you switch that setting off, your data can be included in the model, which would make it available for other users to query with their prompts. 
Let's go to our next question about data in tables. I was wondering if it's possible to use ChatGPT to analyse data in tables. And if so, how would I get it in there? In one of our client workshops, the same question came up. So they were wanting to analyse publicly available information that was in a PDF of a financial report. So we tried pasting the tables in it as text, which looked like a mess in the prompt, but ChatGPT was still able to analyse them, so it works it out from the structure of the text. But as I mentioned, they previewed the ability to directly upload your data into ChatGPT as part of your prompt, and that's going to be a game changer for if you're looking to analyse data. Okay, let's go to the next question. In coming years, as data domains start to shrink, according to the law of diminishing returns, or at commercials for access, AI may start learning from AI-generated and not human-generated data. What is the likelihood of this and what is the impact of this? Yeah, so what the caller is highlighting there is one of the real concerns, which is implied by Elon Musk's plea to slow the progress of AI, So think about this. I've got a website. I do product reviews on it. My source of revenue is based on people that visit my site and click on links. So if people start using ChatGPT instead of my site, I stop producing content. And the internet starts to become less relevant and then becomes an echo chamber with existing content. So that's Mm. one of the points he's talking about in terms of quality of information that's out there. And with the proliferation of ChatGPT content, any biases that currently exist become amplified. So an example of this would be polarizing topics, so such as Donald Trump, climate change, or Bitcoin. Remember, I said the answer is based on statistics, so it's whatever ChatGPT has found most prevalent on the internet, it considers this as a truth. So it considers that as the truth, and that's where we've got to be careful about this fake news and disinformation coming out. Well, yeah, exactly. And if we do take it as the truth and then republish it, all we're doing is increasing its volume. So that's really what what OpenAI is, when they talked about AI for good as part of their initial mission, that's really part of their responsibility is removing the bias from information that's in ChatGPT or in the GPT model. So to prevent biased views from becoming louder. So it's actually pretty important to keep incentivizing content producers to keep producing good information. And Bing's attempting to do this, and Google as well, by providing links to where the answer came from. And Google's Bard does this with a research this button. So you're back on the web and you're looking at websites. And to the point of is dilution of new information a risk? Yes. But for generally accepted truths, such as what makes a good policy document, It doesn't have much of an effect in the short term. Innovation comes in large part from combinations of existing knowledge, which generative AI like ChatGPT can actually help with. So an analogy, if you're given red and blue paint, you have the power to make a new color. Okay, our next question is coming back to that fear discussion that we had earlier. Hi, I have a question. Elon Musk and others have issued warnings about the potential negative impacts that this technology will have. What are your views on this? Well, as we talked about earlier, he he wants us to have time to catch up with the technology before it gets any smarter so that there are the right right guardrails in place, which fundamentally I agree with. The benefits of AI going to be greater than the negatives. I don't think anyone really knows at this stage. It's really going to depend on how the humans use it. There's this thing called auto-GPT. It's a techie having a play with a program 
that connects to ChatGPT. And the thing about this this new program is that you can give ChatGPT an instruction, it'll figure out what the steps are, and then it'll do the steps. So I can ask it to book me a holiday. That would be a nice use for it. It'll find out, and I'll give it some specifications. I want to go somewhere hot, and I want to go next week. It will go and find the website, it'll find the dates, and it will book the holiday for me at its most extreme. So if you think about someone putting in the prompt, I want to destroy the internet, it will try and find ways to do that by continually reprompting itself. Remember, it can write code. So this thing can write code, puts code into a folder and executes it from my computer. I've had a play with it, more for the booking holiday side. I haven't tried to destroy the internet yet. But when it becomes autonomous like that, it can get out of control. And I can definitely see what, where Elon's coming from in terms of where this could go. And it could get dark. I saw a story where they, someone did that end-of-world scenario and it started talking to another computer, is that right? Yeah. Or another AI? And they started working it out together and this started freaking people out so they shut it down. Did that happen? Yeah, that's right. They've done some interesting experiments where they've set up a, a town of personalities that are all GPT-based and get, told them what they like and they've ended up having conversations and the researchers watched them and actually found some gossiping about the other ones and being very human in terms of this little sim city that they had created. No. Yeah. Okay, let's go to our next question. Hi, I think ChatGPT could be really good for us, but I'm just not sure how we make it part of our everyday work. Do you have any advice on that so that we're maximizing what it can do? The advice I'd give is to give your team access and a crash course in how to use this, which we can provide, by the way, and give them half a day dedicated to seeing what they can automate with it in terms of their jobs. So set it as your home page so that your browser opens up with it to remind you that it's there for you to use. But advice, so don't take the answers as truth. You're still the expert in your field, but you've now got this tool available to you to speed up your work. I think anyone running any business probably shouldn't be using ChatGPT until they've come and spoken to someone like you and the Missing Link. Does that worry you that people are out there in the business world jumping on without sort of really getting some formal advice from experts? Particularly for the data security reasons. So thinking that you're doing nothing wrong and you're getting a real boost. So if you think of a more junior employee not understanding the impact of what they're putting into there, you can very quickly expose your your company's data to the world. Yeah. Okay, Uh, let's go to the next one. Automation so far has impacted a lot of grunt work administrative roles, but I'm wondering more about what impact will it have on skilled professions like developers, lawyers, managed consultants, those levels of jobs. Um, And what would you advise children of today to be considering uh, as future professions that would be somewhat immune to, to this technology takeover? Yeah, as, as we talked about earlier, the, the reach of automation has expanded into those more skilled professions. But I'd advise the children of today to get good at using it. And if they want a profession that isn't impacted by it, consider those which require a higher level of human interaction. So like teaching, nursing, aged care or tradesman skills where we are short on people anyway. Let's go to our next question, which I think is about the next version of ChatGPT. When can we expect ChatGPT5? The same question was asked of OpenAI founder Sam Altman, 
and he has said that OpenAI is not working on GPT-5 and, to quote him, won't be for some time. Okay, so the current version is the current version and that's it for now for ChatGPT. Let's go to this next question because it's an interesting one sort of relating into trademarks and copyrights and whether you can use the content that you get from, from this. Here we go. Can I use ChatGPT for commercial output? Yeah, so the, the terms of OpenAI actually state that you own the output, but in order to claim to be the author of an article, you need to have some input. So it needs to be largely your work. So the, the laws around copyright, they're still a little hazy and they're working that out. That's a global problem. They're one of the ones that Elon Musk could be referring to. We need to catch up with who belongs to what here because there's information in there that, that would have copyright on it. So I would suggest putting in ChatGPT as a co-author and still having a lot of input into the articles that you're writing. Okay, well done, Matt Dunn. You've really given us some amazing insights into AI and chat GPT and how it's transforming industry. And thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing all of your experience with us today. No worries, Matt. It's been a pleasure. And if you'd like to find out more about ChatGPT or the power that automation can have on your business, Matt and the team at The Missing Link are hosting workshops. For details, head to the website, themissinglink.com.au. You can also find a whole library of podcasts from The Missing Link wherever you enjoy your podcasts. The Check It Out series covers everything from AI to cloud services and the latest on cybersecurity. We'd love for you to follow us and share us. I'm Matt Summerall. On behalf of The Missing Link, thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded on the traditional country of the Camaragal people of the Garangai tribe of the Aora Nation. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders past, present and emerging.